Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 131 of Dogcast Radio. In this show, we have an interview with Stephen Havers, who works with dogs for whom the usual training methods don't work. Until I started doing what I do, there wasn't anywhere that these people with these disruptive, challenging, noisy dogs could actually go and get their issues sorted out. Plus, we have the Dogcast Radio News. But before we jump into the rest of the show today, I'd just like to share with you that I'm co-hosting a new podcast called The Dog News Show. My co-host is Debbie Connolly, who you'll have heard on Dogcast Radio before. And each week, Debbie and I discuss dog news stories that have caught our attention, sharing our opinions with a mix of common sense, humour and irreverence. You can find out more at thedognewsshow.com. And if you're aware of a news story you think we should be discussing, let us know. The other breaking news I need to share is that Dogcast Radio is now also available on YouTube. Several episodes are now available on the Dogcast Radio YouTube channel and we'll be adding more episodes as fast as we can. Now, we start the show with an interview with Pat Miller about growling. Pat was a humane officer at the Marine Humane Society in California for over 20 years before qualifying as a CPDT trainer and opening her own training establishment, Peaceable Paws. She's also the training editor of The Whole Dog Journal. I discovered Pat's article on growling called The Gift of Growl, and I was intrigued. The first thing I asked Pat was, is growling a sign of aggression? Actually, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an it's sort of a distant early warning sign that something is making the dog uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's less a... It's less. It's not necessarily an immediate. I'm about to rip your face off. Sign of aggression. Although with some dogs, the growl threshold is very close to the bite threshold. But it's more of what we call a um, distance increasing behavior. The a dog when he growls is saying something more along the lines of, "Please go away. I really don't want to hurt you." Yeah. Yeah, it's kind and it's of, it's when we ignore that yes. that that he's then forced to escalate to stronger measures. Yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, you know, I think as as an owner, you, you do interpret it in a negative way, and you sort of go, "Oh, no, no," and and that is exactly the wrong thing to do, isn't it? It is because I, what I tell my clients is a growl is a good thing, mm-hmm. and you want to treasure your dog's growl. Because, like I said, the dog is the growl's way of saying, something's making me really uncomfortable, please help me. Mm. And what, like, you're right, what many owners do, instead of helping the dog out of that difficult situation, is they make the difficult situation worse by punishing the dog for growling. Yeah, yeah. Now, you, you actually, in your article, sort of mention, for example, if a dog is growling at children, how that mm-hmm. can actually escalate to a horrendous situation. Sure. And again, what you want to do is acknowledge and respect your dog telling you, I'm not comfortable with children, help me out of here. Mm. As opposed, so you increase distance between him and the children or whatever it is that's making him uncomfortable. And then you step back and say, okay, now is this something I need to fix? And if it's something I need to fix, how do I go about fixing it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, in, in that case, then whether your dog is, is growling at, you know, children or, or dogs or whatever it is. Um, now, mm-hmm. obviously, children would be a, a more dangerous thing. Um, 
what should we be doing? Because it is a situation where, you know, you, I, when I've had it, um, we've, we've had a, a border collie recently and he, he was, um, until he was about six months, he was mainly on a farm where he was bred. Um, Mm -hmm. So he met a lot of border collies. He met cats. You know, he did meet, you know, some situations. Um, But he was great with other border collies, not so great with other dogs. Mm -hmm. And initially, he has put teeth. He's never drawn blood, but he has put teeth on other dogs. And Mm -hmm. initially, my problem was he would just go from nothing to teeth on a dog. Mm. And what what made your article really resonate with me was I'd been taking him to lessons and I'd been working and working and I was thinking one of the hardest things is I get no warning you know we're, we're fine and then suddenly we're in a situation now obviously someone like you could have seen other warnings maybe you know but I'm I can't read it as as finely as that so I I, I ended up in situations with to me no warning um, mm-hmm. and so the first day that we went to class and he actually growled at a dog mm-hmm. and I could sort of say come away now then, you know, and, and actually sort of deal with it. Was, it was, it was such a relief and it sounds such a weird thing to do that I would say that I was, I was happy my dog would growl, but finally. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I had that warning. Something is about yeah. to happen. Yeah. And it, it was, it was actually fantastic. Yeah. And absent that warning, you're right. You have to be a lot better about um, really reading your dog's signals and interpreting things that, you know, just like a, a moment of, of, stillness, a moment of of what we call a freeze, where the dog stops doing anything, that's another warning sign and one that a lot of people don't see. Yeah, yeah. Because to you, the dog is being being good at that point. (laughs) Right. Any warning sign um, should be taken as a gift, Mm -hmm. as your dog's way of communicating to you that something is disturbing him. And sort of universally the wrong response is to punish a warning sign. Yeah. You want your dog to be able to feel comfortable telling you, mm, I'm in trouble here. I'm really worried about something. Mm. So when we understand that, that the dog is, is saying that to us, what should we do? Because I think another worry we have, you see, what I was, was sort of doing was saying, okay, come away now, you know, come to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he would have a treat then. And then in the back of your mind, you're thinking, am I actually rewarding a growl you know so it's such a minefield to deal with what should we be doing pat um exactly what you did which is remove the dog from the situation that's making her uncomfortable and at the same time make some mental notes about what's bothering the dog and plan on how to deal with that the next time you encounter it So, for example, I did have a dog who was very uncomfortable with children. Hmm. Uh, We don't don't have children. I have one sister who has a a daughter and a son who were small children at one time, Hmm. and they came to visit us once a year. So once a year, um, Tucker got to spend a lot of time in our bedroom, and he could come out when the children were in bed until they grew up enough that he no longer considered them a threat. That only worked for us because he never had to be around children. Mm. If the situation were different, if we had children of our own or if we had friends over frequently who had children, um, simply managing that situation might not have been safe. Mm. And in that case, then it would have been appropriate to do behavior modification to convince him that children really are wonderful. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, I, I have to say, when my experience has been, once he started growling and we had that warning and I could sort of say, OK, come away and, and sort of treat him, I don't know whether it was the fact that I relaxed and mm-hmm. he picked up on that, but within three weeks, we've gone from a situation where he first growled and then three weeks later, this week when we went to training, he was actually tail up and wagging, not, not a stiff tail. Oh, good for tail, you. Tail wagging. And he's actually pushing forward to meet other dogs. And it was almost like that pressure was taken away and uh-huh. I'd relaxed, you know. So uh-huh. it, it really does have an effect. It does. It absolutely does. And in your dog's case, it sounds like she probably hadn't had bad prior experiences with children but that just she thought they were pretty foreign looking it was it was other and dogs actually with rusty it's other dogs other dogs i'm sorry you're right other dogs yeah and you're right because she was raised on a farm with farm with border collies hadn't been around a lot of other dogs and yeah. so they were foreign to her yeah and yeah. giving her an opportunity to be to be around them without bad things happening mm-hmm. even though they were making her a little tense and uncomfortable um, her natural sounds like basically solid temperament um, is in, yeah. is enabling her to determine that mm, they're okay, they're yeah. not hurting me. Yeah, yeah. It, it's funny. Rusty's actually a he, but he he um he's very sound in some ways. You know, we would walk on the, our walks, we'd pass somebody mowing their lawn, or somebody would be recycling glass in a you know in one of the big skin mm-hmm. things, and he'd be mm-hmm. fine with that. And just other dogs, and it was. The worst for him was exuberant dogs. You know, if it, was uh-huh. a, if it was a dog that meant business, even if the dog sort of warned him, if the other dog growled at him, he would almost sort of hold his paws up and go, okay, that's fine, uh-huh. I can get that. Uh-huh. It was exuberance that got him. So it was, it was yeah. such a strange situation. Yeah. And when you think about it, you know, there's a lot of machinery on a farm. So things like mowers and, and blowers and things like that are probably much closer to his past experience on the farm than, you know, sort of rude, rude dogs. Border collies, the herding dogs are really space conscious dogs. Hmm. So it's not unusual that they're not fond of dogs that want to get in their face. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's certainly he's teaching me a lot, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> he really is. They do that. They do that, don't they? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So if you identify a, a stimulus, something that that repeatedly causes your dog to growl or makes your dog uncomfortable. Um, in the best of worlds, we get what you've got, which is just give them a little more time and a little more space and they figure it out. Mm. More commonly, you have to take um, bigger action. You have to work to give your dog a new positive association with the thing that's making him uncomfortable through a process we call counter-conditioning. Mm-hmm. I know in Australia they call it reverse conditioning, so I'm I'm not sure what you call it in Britain, but <laughs> um, I, I, will, I will look into that. <laughs> <laughs> Here it's counter conditioning, and that means countering or changing the prior association that the dog has, the prior negative association the dog has. Hmm. So in order to do that, if it doesn't happen as easily as it sounds like it's happening with um, with your guy, hmm. you would you would set up a situation where your dog stays below what we call threshold, which is you want him to be aware of the thing he's not fond of, but not so close that he starts growling or worse, barking and lunging. That's what we call over threshold. Hmm. And at that distance where he he sees it and he goes, "Uh uh-oh, there's another dog over there, 
you would start feeding him something very high value. I use chicken a lot for that. Mm-hmm. And the reason I use chicken is because it's high value. It's also low fat, low calorie, relatively healthy for them, and we use a lot of it. Yeah. So he sees the other dog. You see him make, you know, his, his eyes focus on the other dog and you instantly put chicken in front of his nose and then kind of encourage him to look back at you and then you stop feeding chicken so he can look at the dog again and the instant he looks at the dog again more chicken mm-hmm. what you're trying to do is convince the emotional part of the brain this isn't a thinking brain process this is an emotional brain process mm-hmm. you're trying to convince the emotional part of his brain that other dogs make really good stuff happen yeah yeah so that he decides other dogs are really cool to have around. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I think maybe it's an area people find so difficult because it is, first of all, it stresses you. But as mm-hmm. you say, the, the instinct is you'd sort of say, no, leave. So, and we're, we're, right. instead we're saying, hey, yeah, this is great. You know? Right. It is a little counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's understandable when, when you think people look at the growl as the beginning of the aggression continuum. And if you can stop it early, maybe mm. you can stop it. But it really does just the opposite. When you punish your dog for growling in the presence of something that's already making him uncomfortable, you make it worse. Yeah. Because now not only is the scary thing here, but when the scary thing is here, my mom turns violent. What's that about? Mm. Mm. So they want other dogs to stay away even more because you get mad when other dogs come around. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think as well, you know... It, because I, I was reading, but obviously I've, I've had to sort of read quite a bit with Rusty. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, it, the, the growl, it's, it's a really legitimate part of their communication. Because I, it, it was the first time I'd had um, on a daily basis sort of what I would, you know, call aggression between my own dogs. You know, there'd, mm-hmm. been, there'd been one incident when we moved house and my lab was really stressed, apparently. I hadn't mm-hmm. realised and there was one incident where my, the little Bichon got on a bed with him and he just told her, no, 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 we're not having this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so, it was really stressful for me to have this sort of constantly um, going on this growl. Sure. But actually, sure. it's quite a legitimate part of their um, communication, isn't it? Yes, yes. And in, in the best of all worlds, one dog growls it in the, at, at the second dog and the second dog goes, you know, oops, sorry, mm. and leaves. And there's no need for aggression. Yeah. So the purpose of the growl is really to avoid aggression. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's interesting is, um, as I say, we have a Bichon in a lab that, that, uh, that Rusty is living with. And the Bichon, although she is tiny, she has cut him no slack at all. And she growls at him <laughs> and she is in his face. And she, I mean, she's really up in his face. And he just goes, all right, okay. It's all right, you know. Yeah. And he kind of goes, Yeah, I'm just sniffing you. I'm just sniffing you. Yep. It's okay. Whereas yep. Buddy, yep. who is more sort of be my mate, and he's doing friendly behaviour, and, and that's sort of that's taken a long time for them to sort of live in harmony. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it was it was it was a real education. It really was. If um, if if people have a dog who who is growling, would you say that it, it's something you? you maybe should go and just get checked out with, with a trainer or a behaviorist to make sure that you're doing the right thing? It's a good idea, particularly if, I mean, if you get one growl and you kind of sit back and watch what's going on and um, it seems to de-escalate over time, then you might not necessarily have to run right off to a, a behavior professional. But if it's continuing or seems like it's escalating, 
then by all means, good thing to get checked out. And some of the things, other things that play into that, aggression across the board is caused by stress. Okay. Mm. So we know when a dog growls that something is stressing that dog. And it's not just the obvious trigger, but anything in the dog's environment that's stressful for him feeds that whole um, collection of stress. Stress is cumulative. Mm. So your dog might be stressed about other dogs and able to handle it some of the time. But if some other big stressful thing is happening for your dog at the same time, then it's less likely that he's going to be able to handle it. Mm. So one of the things that's useful to do is to look at the dog's entire environment and, and see how can I remove other stressful things in his life because they all play into the, the complete load of stress mm. on him. And if you can take away other stressors, then he may be able to handle the presence of other dogs that are still maybe somewhat stressful to him but not putting him over threshold. Yeah. And a piece of that is medical particularly um, if you have a dog who's sort of an adult dog, adolescent, or, or particularly an adult dog, who's, who's having a, a behavior change. Gee, he's always been good around kids, but now he's growling at them. What's that about? That could be because there's something medical also, and medical issues are huge stressors. And you think if you've ever been in pain, how stressful that is. Mm. So we want to look at removing any potential medical stressors as well as the obvious environmental stressors. Yeah, yeah. Pat, that's great advice. It, it really is. And um, I do recommend people go and read your um, article about, you know, your, your dog's growl is, is, a, is a gift to you. Um, where can people find out more about you on the Internet? I am at uh, www.peaceablepaws.com. Dot com and that's spelled p e a c e a b l e p a w s dot com. Excellent. Thanks ever so much for that, Pat. You are very welcome. Pat Miller there with some great advice. Pat's article, The Gift of Growl, that sparked that interview off, is on the Peaceable Paws website, and we have a link to it on the Dogcast Radio site. If you have a training or behaviour question you'd like us to put to an expert, get in touch and ask away. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. Sit is the most well-known dog command, with 9 out of 10 dogs being able to sit on command. Hello and welcome to the Dogcast Radio News Desk. I'm Kate. And I'm Nick. If you're stressed at work, consider taking your dog with you, as the latest research done in the USA and published in the International Journal of Workplace Health Management has found that having a dog in the workplace cuts stress, boosts morale and makes the job more satisfying for both the owner of the dog and their colleagues. The study looked at a manufacturing company which allows staff to bring their dogs to work, comparing those who took advantage of this with those who had a dog but chose to leave it at home. In the morning, both groups had similar stress levels, but over the day, levels declined for those with dogs while they increased for those unaccompanied by their dog and for non-pet owners too. 
Interestingly, the dog owners who had lower stress when their dog was with them had higher stress when alone at work. Plus, of course, our dogs are happier in company than left at home alone. So, dogs in the workplace is a good thing after all. And it's not just at work that dogs can help us out. In the UK, hearing dogs for deaf people has highlighted how life-enhancing a dog is for deaf children. Youngsters who are deaf can have their confidence boosted by the companionship and independence a hearing dog provides them with. And increasingly, teachers are noticing that this has a beneficial effect on their academic performance and behaviour at school. The charity also reports that parental concerns about child safety also decrease once a hearing dog is in place. Meanwhile, a deaf dog who was taken in by a deaf couple has been busy learning an impressive variety of behaviours, all prompted by sign language. Alice was dumped by her breeder in Ireland when it emerged she was deaf, but Marie Williams and Mark Morgan adopted her from the Blue Cross and are proud that the dog now knows signs for sit, stand, come, roll over, as well as fancier things like pray, and can also toilet on command. It just shows what a little love and patience can do. Go to www.dogcastradio.com to see a video of Alice going through her repertoire. It's clear that these days we love our dogs more than ever, and they are definitely part of the family. So when that family unit breaks down, dogs are increasingly becoming affected by divorce. In legal terms, your dog is simply a possession, like your television. And unless couples agree to a shared custody arrangement, he will be awarded to one side or the other, just like any other possession. However, lawyers are noticing that owners are willing to let their spouse take up to 40 times what it would take to buy a new dog in order for them to keep the dog they have already come to love. So maybe these days, people stay together for the sake of their dog. Now, hopefully we all realise how dangerous it is to leave a dog in a car on a hot day. But did you know there are dangers in leaving a stuffed toy dog in your car? Well, in Nottinghamshire, in the UK, police received a phone call from a concerned member of the public and they went to investigate. It was only after an officer broke a car window to free the animal that they discovered it wasn't a real dog at all. To be fair, the police force is always warning motorists not to leave belongings on display in a car to avoid break-ins. We just didn't think that this time it would be the police doing the breaking in. And that's all from us on the Dogcast Radio News Desk. Goodbye. According to the ASPCA, 25% of dogs who enter shelters are purebred. Many dogs and owners take to training very well and enjoy classes with very few problems. But if you have a challenging or aggressive dog, where can you find support? Well, Stephen Havers is providing help for just such owners and dogs. We started off talking about the relationship between people and dogs, which never ceases to fascinate me. The relationship between a dog and a human, I don't think, is understood really by any dog trainer. Yeah, yeah. Because if you're looking to train your dog, then you're effectively bribing it to do something that it should be doing naturally because the interaction between the two of you is effective and clear so the dog understands what it is you want it to do. Mm. And I'm, si- I'm sitting here talking to you now. I've got two German Shepherds, one six, one three, lying down on the floor fast asleep. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what they... No, they're with me. They're happy, they're relaxed, they're chilled out. Mm. Mm. 
they're not demanding my attention, they're not bringing me toys, they're not sniffing around the place, they're just relaxed because yeah. we have a very good relationship. Yeah. Yeah, we'll come back to your own dogs um, perhaps later. But I know you have a, a very different way of training. So, what kind of dogs do you work with professionally, Stephen? Challenging ones. Mm. I work with dogs that, on the whole, have been requested to leave other dog training clubs or facilities because they are disruptive, because they are challenging, or they're, they're noisy, or they're stressed. Because the dogs that go to normal dog obedience training classes and just sit there and do it mm. are the dogs that won't cause anybody any problems anyway. Until I started doing what I do, there wasn't anywhere that these people with these disruptive, challenging, noisy dogs could actually go and get their issues sorted out. So they were very much marginalised, yeah. even, even ostracised to the point where then their only option was then, well, if we can't live with the dog, the dog's got to go. Yeah. Yeah. But it goes to a rescue centre. The rescue centre staff only interact with it in the same way, so the problems are, are maintained and exacerbated. It goes on to its new owner, and the dog continues to behave the same way. So nothing ever changes. Nothing breaks this pattern of behaviour or teaches the dog to be a calm and responsible member of a family or society. No, no. Do you know, I can really identify with what you're saying. I mean... Um, years ago, I mean, we're talking 20 years, more than 20 years ago, um, my mum got a German Shepherd. Um, and he was actually a lovely dog. Um, but we went to a class, and he was quite young, and he was just boisterous. He wasn't sort of aggressive or anything like that, mm. but he was just really, really over-the-top boisterous. And the man who was running the class said, don't come back. Mm. And you think, but those dogs who are challenging in whatever way it is, you know, those are the people that really, really need the extra support. Like you say, if your dog's, you know, my, my lab was never a problem and sort of really tried to do what I wanted him to do, you know, and yeah. it was easy. But the ones who do have the challenging dogs, that's where the help really and the support really needs to be poured in, doesn't it? Of course it does. You need to get these people into a group of like-minded people. And the thing where why people enjoy my classes so much is they get the opportunity to give their dog the time to express itself, to realise this behaviour is unnecessary and gains no attention. Mm. So it becomes pointless. Now, you can't do that in a public park. You can't let your dog bark at somebody or another dog in a public park because, A, there's no one will stand there and let you do it. They're going to tell you off for not having your dog under control. Yeah. So, again, it becomes that no-win situation. So to put all of these people with these challenging dogs into uh, a training class full of other dogs and owners that have similar issues, then they start to relax more because they suddenly realise, A, it's not just them. Mm. They're not on their own. They're not unique. It's something that is a very common problem. And they get in an environment where they get taught how to change that dog's behaviour. Mm. Mm. And it doesn't matter what that dog does. And I've had dogs in my classes that will try and attack other dogs, try and attack people. Mm. I've had dogs in my classes, the courts of classes, dangerous mm. and resolve the issue. It's just with a bit of time, patience and knowledge. You can achieve anything you want with a dog. Mm. Yeah. Now, I, I'm fascinated with this, Steve, because I know you say you don't use um, toys or food treats or fear. 
So no, I don't use corrections. I don't use clickers. I never tell a dog off. Hmm. I never, I never give a dog a, lead, a correction on the lead either. Hmm. Everything I do, because when you understand completely the dog-human relationship, Julie, you you come down to one very, very basic element, and that when it is when a dog comes into your house and your family for the first time, it is giving you a set of behaviours by expressing itself and doing what it thinks it should do. Mm. What governs the success or failure of those behaviours is how we react to them. Mm-hmm. Because a dog's only indication of how we want it to behave is our reaction to its behaviour. Because we don't speak the same language. Yeah, yeah. It's like walking into a bar and the person behind the bar doesn't speak your language, you don't speak theirs. But you can still order a beer. Yeah, yeah. With non-verbal communication. Mm. So when you start to look at the whole dog's behaviour from a different perspective, then you can forget dominance, you can forget pack order and all that rubbish because it doesn't apply. Mm. It, it is compl- it's a complete misnomer when a dog is living with people. All the dog is doing in its behaviour is asking you questions. Is this what you want? Is this what you want? Is this what you want? And whichever behaviour gets our attention must be correct as far as the dog's concerned. So it'll do that behaviour more often and more often. Now, the problem with humans and the way that we're wired is that we, we tend to give the very behaviours we don't want the most attention and the most reaction. Yeah, yeah. So the dog does more of it. Mm. So the dog does more of it and gets more attention and more reaction. And it escalates to the point where you, you are faced with a decision to make. Well, the, is, you know, and it literally is the dog has to go because we can't live with it. Mm. Yet its, its behaviour is entirely created by the owner. Mm. So, so therefore it follows that if the owner has trained it to behave in that way, then if we change which behaviour the owner rewards the same owner can train the same dog to behave completely differently. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what I do. This is why I don't need any other aids or gimmicks to achieve a happy, balanced, relaxed dog. Mm. All I need is an owner that can listen, can learn, and can apply. And the vast majority of dog owners, because they want to do the best thing for their dog, make the perfect people to work with because they really start to enjoy their dog. I've been with some people this week where they haven't enjoyed walking their dog. They've had two one-hour home visits. They can now walk their dog on a slack lead past other dogs, whereas two weeks ago it was attacking them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the sense of relief from the the human um, part of the partnership that you're working with must be just immense. There is no greater satisfaction than watching the owner's face as you take their dog, either in a home visit or a class, and you show them exactly why the dog's behaving the way it is, you change something that the owners don't really recognise as important, but obviously to the dog it is important, and the dog changes its behaviour in front of their eyes, Mm -hmm. then the pictures on their faces, then when they try the same thing and get the same results, the picture their faces are just priceless. Yeah. And, and the, the satisfaction that gives you. And to be fair, I'm a, I get more satisfaction from seeing the dog start to relax mm. 
Yeah, yeah. Than I do from the human. It's nice to see the owners get it and start to do it and enjoy the the dog then choosing to behave differently. But it's when you see the dog working out for itself. Okay, this behaviour suddenly isn't working. Mm. And if you are patient, and this is the the hardest thing to teach people, if you're patient and you wait a little bit longer than you would normally wait, the dog will choose a different behaviour all by itself. Yeah, yeah. Which means you can then praise immediately because the dog has changed its mind. Yes. So So you're letting the dog solve the problem because all you're doing is withdrawing your attention from the behavior you used to reward. So the dog is doing barking at the other dog and getting no attention from you. And very quickly, the dog will actually stop and turn around and look at the, hand, the owner as if to say, well, you're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. And at that point, the attention comes in. So it's, it's, it's completely clear for the dog now, well, this different behavior gets my attention. Yes. Yeah. So the dog will then change, provided you can be consistent to adapt to that behaviour because that gets the attention. Mm. Do you know, this is, I'm remembering when um, my lad was younger and you're quite right, we do react in the wrong way because when he was sort of lying there just in the lounge nicely and I'd sort of say, oh, good dog, that he got some attention. But when he stole something, you know, and the higher value the thing he stole, you know, the TV remote or your yeah. shoe or something and ran into the garden, then I'd be frantic and I'd be running after him and waving my arms and shouting. So from his point of view... Hey, I got a great reaction there. So, you know, we do do entirely the wrong thing, don't we? And by doing that, we actually teach our dogs to never relax. Because we teach our dogs they have to be doing something mm-hmm. all the time to get our attention. Mm-hmm. Now, if that was a child that was conditioned that way, then you'd be in to see the, the child behaviourist, you'd be in to see the child psychologist... Because you'd be looking at ADHD and all sorts of other conditions as to why this child was continued on the go. And yet we do exactly the same thing with our dogs and then wonder why they become problematic and then develop separation anxiety. Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, one of the problems is, um, you know, you've mentioned dogs that attack other dogs. Yeah. One of the the, the problems, and, and... our border collie we've we've recently had well we've had him six months now um you know he he how i would express it is he knew very well how to be a border collie he wasn't too sure about how to be a dog generally yeah. in the world of dogs you know and he he misunderstood a lot of um exuberant behavior you know he was very he is very serious and he doesn't understand exuberance and i guess one of the issues when your dog isn't happy with other dogs particularly if they might set teeth on them or you know things like that how do you ignore that and wait for the dog to change behaviour because it's, it's having an impact on another dog. It is. This is where, in, mm. in, the gen, in, the, in the general world of dog owners, you would never get the chance to actually let that dog show you what it's truly thinking. Yeah. Because you're always going to be pulling it away or telling it off. Either of those two things will only tell the dog that you're just as uncertain and fearful as the dog is, so it'll do it more. And this is something else that I prove frequently in my classes, and I was doing it exactly the same thing just last night in my class. There was a a, la- a very large Labrador cross German Shepherd, mm. male and a, and a and a female Rottweiler, who decided they didn't like each other, mm. and 
when you get two dogs that are, from all intents and purposes and appearances from our normal perception, clearly want to have a fight, when you get them to the end of their lead and you hold them about four to five inches apart and you let them just work through it, you will be there for no more than two minutes mm. before both of those dogs actually realise well, nothing's happening, we're not getting anywhere, and they just switch off and stop. Yeah. Still five inches apart, and they just relax together. Mm-hmm. Then you bring the praise in, and then they go off walking side by side. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Because the, do- the dog's perception of other dogs is, again, entirely driven by us. And if your border collie has not learned how to be calm and relaxed around other dogs and is, is demonstrating this intense behaviour, which, again, is reinforced by typical owner behaviour, mm, mm. then you're on the slippery road to making sure that behaviour becomes a permanent mm. expectation from the dog. Mm. It's, to, to be fair, I mean, my trainer, again, what you said about sort of being in a class of like-minded people um, really rings true because I've been so lucky to find a great trainer and of, the other people in the class are so supportive um, so if, you know, Rusty's ever sort of, um, you know, played, well, I, w- I would say played up, you, you would express it differently but to, to me, you know, played up sort of, um, he has put teeth on another dog. He's not broken skin, but mm. he has put teeth. And, you know, I, I've expected them to just, just turn around and say, get out, you know, mm. and they've all been so supportive and understanding. And, but one of the hardest things for me was, you know, the trainer was saying, slack lead, slack lead, don't pull him away from other dogs, let him sniff, let him, you know. And exactly what you're saying. Don't give him those, I'm but tense. The, the you know. problem is there, though, Julie, with that little scenario. When two dogs get to meet for the first time, you have three seconds in which those dogs will be nose-to-nose, sniffing. After those three seconds, you will either get an explosion mm. or they'll move into a more playful posture. But either way, the fact that you, those two dogs have come away from their respective owners and met, it's effectively like two boxers meeting in the middle of a ring with no, with no referee. Mm. Because they, they are not being given any indication from their owners about how to behave. You're leaving it entirely up to the dogs to decide how to behave. So the best place for you or and the other owner to be is that you two should be meeting first with your do- respective dogs behind you. Mm. So they are then recognising that the people can meet with no requirement from them. What they will do behind you is settle down and relax. And what you will then find is that when you then step aside, they won't actually want to get together and meet. Because when you think back into evolution when these things lived in the wild in their groups their family groups they never popped across the valley to see another family group did they (laughs) no 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 No. so this whole element of socialization is in very linked into a, 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 a element of high stress in the dog because they are not when they meet other dogs they aren't relaxed are they no, no. Well, to be, I mean, to be fair, depending on the dog, I suppose, um, no. And therein lies the issue. See, if you yeah. condition your dog, and in your case he's rusty, yeah. that he only ever gets to meet another dog 
when both dogs are calm and relaxed, then he will have no expectation of stress when he sees the dog. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So by, by just letting two dogs get nose to nose, and some of the dogs I have in my classes, that is a very, very good way of losing two dogs. <laughs> yes, yeah. Because they would literally kick off big time. When you put a human in the middle, and initially it's usually me, <laughs> and you just show both dogs that coming forward in a, in a stressed state achieves nothing, mm. then both dogs relax, get praised by their owners, and absolutely lose interest in each other completely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So that way you're teaching the dogs that to be relaxed with their owners around other dogs that aren't relaxed. Because when you go into a park, you will be meeting Joe Bloggers and their dog, yeah. who they, who are who get in the park, let the thing off the lead. Now comes the ball and ball thrower, throw, 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 throw. So the dog has no chance of ever being relaxed and chilled out because it's never allowed to be. Mm. So if you can condition your dog that wherever you go with it, whatever you encounter, the base expectation of behaviour is calm, relaxed, and next to you, mm. then you'll never have a problem. Yeah. Yeah, I do find this very, very interesting. That's a really good insight into sort of how you can um, teach a dog a, a, a new approach, a different approach, when they're an older dog and they've already got those sort of problems manifesting. But you also work with puppy owners, don't you, to sort of stop these problems, well, stop these, any behaviours that, be, that yeah. might be a problem, don't you? Certainly do. I have an awful lot of puppies coming to my classes. And another thing that people find very strange when they ring me up and they say, oh, we've got a puppy, we'd like to come to your puppy classes. I say, fine, brilliant, bring them along to any class. Mm. And they say, well, what do you mean? He says, well, I don't do puppy classes. Yeah. I, I will teach you and your puppy how to behave in a group of other dogs. Mm. Of all ages, of all abilities, of all problems and temperaments, that, and you will be encountering stressed barking dogs. So your puppy then learns how to deal with that. You learn to deal with it from a very early age. You never go for a walk with your puppy and only ever encounter puppies. <laughs> no, no, you're quite right, actually. But also, puppy classes also are fantastic for me because they keep me very, very busy in the respect that in puppy classes, the expectation is usually that at some point during that session, all these puppies are let off to the lead together to go and play. Mm. So you spend the first part of the lesson trying to teach your puppy to, to pay attention to you when its ultimate expectation is, I will be let off to play with the other dogs. Yeah, yeah. So you're actually create, guaranteeing failure. Mm. Because your dog will not be attentive to you because the expectation is being created, rewarded, and therefore defined because at the end of each lesson, it gets let off to play with all the other dogs. Mm. So its expectation is that when it's out with you, it's allowed to go and see other dogs whenever it wants to. So you go from an eight-week-old puppy to a, full, a full-size German Shepherd that has the same belief that it, as a puppy you said it can go and play with other dogs, so why can't it now it's older? Yeah, yeah. And this is where we fail. A lot of people fail to understand the implications of what they do with a puppy and they fail to understand how that will apply when it's fully grown. Mm, yeah, start as you mean to go on, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So because it's cute and fluffy, oh, go and say hello, go and say hello. And that, invariably, and that usually means a dog that you will then pull you across the field to get to a dog <laughs> yeah. or, or will be dog aggressive. Yeah, yeah. So how would you, I mean, would you advocate play sessions or would you say keep that very separate from training or what would you say? 
there's a very it's, it's like everything else in life it, it depends on what expectation of behavior dogs start from mm. dogs dogs are perfectly capable of socializing and playing provided they are introduced correctly which is what i alluded to earlier with the owners meeting first dogs being relaxed and they're meeting in a very very calm framework there is no problem where you can't have a, a five minute walk together and then let those two dogs off the lead because you've established a base pattern of behaviour. The owners are calm, dogs are calm, and it's that calmness that is rewarded with playtime. Yeah, so they've earned the playtime, in effect. Of course. Yeah, yeah. But okay. also, even more importantly, if at any point the play gets too exuberant, there's no verbal intervention. You, you, you go to your dogs, you get them back on the lead, and you stop the play. Mm. When they calm down again... Off come the leads, playtime resumes. So you're giving them established behavioural boundaries. Yes, yeah. And more importantly, consequence of action, mm. which is no different really than you would do with a child. Yeah, yeah. So this is why I don't, I categorically don't buy into all this pack rubbish. Mm. Mm. Your, your dog is only behaving the way the human is training it to. The dog is not trying to compete with you for dominance because it knows, surprisingly, you're not a dog. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's a bit of a fundamental difference. Mm. So why would it expect you to try and behave like one? Mm. If mm. you do, all you're doing is confusing it all the more. Mm. Your dog needs to know how to behave and the only difference is the communication's different. Yeah, yeah. And once you understand, A, what your dog is asking you, then you can answer the question. And there's nothing, as we know, for ourselves, nothing more frustrating than asking a question and not getting an answer. Yeah, yeah. Or a confusing answer, yeah. yeah. If your dog's asking you a question, and they will do this very subtly initially, with a very slight change in their, it could be their change in their posture, their ear position. There's a question being asked. If there's no communication, then the dog's got to do something else to to raise that question, hasn't he? Mm, yeah. So yeah. they go into a higher level of behaviour. And if that dog then has to bark at something, effectively, he's not barking at the dog. He's shouting his question at you. Mm. Because then he's, he, he, he's realised, well, that actually does get an answer. Yes. Yeah. I know it's not the right answer because all I'm doing is being rewarded for shouting. Mm. But at least I've got some communication. So when we refine that and tweak it and change it so the dog, as it asks the question, gets a lovely, quick and calm answer, the dog then has no need to raise its stress levels because it's got the answer in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole thing then becomes a lovely conversation that does get the information and can then genuinely relax with you because it actually believes that you are listening. Mm, yeah. I, you know, Stephen, I, I would love to come and see one of your classes because I, it really does really interest me. Um, I've, I've seen you do uh, Schutzhund and I, I, your, your dog... Susie I did the sleeve work with and she was lovely and, and um, I mean they, they were fantastic um, do you think that's important that you sort of keep them active and give them something to do activity with a dog again is where there's a lot of as far as I'm concerned misconception hmm. about what a dog needs when, you, when people generally think of a dog has to be kept active 
they tend to think of something physical. Mm. So the dog must go out and do agility, fly ball, um, what shuts and working trials, what you know, herding, whatever. The dog must be doing something physical. Mm. But it's, they are, again, incredibly similar to us in their requirements. Yes, whereas we need physical exercise, we don't necessarily find that completely satisfying. Mm. Yet when you engage a dog mentally and you're giving the dog the opportunity to learn and solve problems, that's when you get a really contented dog that's getting the most important combination of the physical, but more importantly, the mental challenge and the mental stimulation. I can go and do a home visit, Julie, and within an hour of just making the dog rethink I can have a dog that will just be asleep on the floor Mm. because it literally is having to process so much information. And we can relate to that again. Oh, yeah. If if we're doing intense mental concentration, it tires us in a way that physical exercise can never achieve. Yeah, yeah. So if you get an excitable, highly active, highly stressed dog and you just work with it and make make the dog start to think and do the work, you'll get a far happier and far more relaxed dog. And and the best way of making a dog think is to actually remove your communication. Hmm. The hardest thing for your dog to deal with is if you are standing still doing nothing. Then you will start to see what your dog thinks it should do to make you move (laughs) to get your attention. Yeah. And that's when you start to see you know, how a dog really believes that it should behave. Mm, yeah. It, they do start going through their repertoire of behaviours then, don't they? So do this, do you want this? Do you want to sit? Do you want to down? What do you, you know, it is... Uh, yeah. and, then all, and then all we have to do... This is, where it's, it, this is, it is so intrinsically simple. Let the dog go through its whole repertoire and then merely select the behaviour you want to reward. So you get to train your dog with no commands because you're letting the dog express itself and they're saying, effectively, ignore, 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 that one's good, I'll praise you for that one. Mm. Little light bulb comes on, the dog goes, okay, <laughs> that's the start of what you want. Now it'll go into a whole different r- repertoire and routine based on that to see what you want around that, intri- that first behaviour. Mm. And that's how you can build a dog to be completely focused on you completely relaxed so you get the dog giving you its full attention because it's calm enough to think completely clearly mm. Mm. Um, Stephen you, you said some really interesting and intriguing things I've really enjoyed it um, where can people find out more about you on the internet they can if they google Havers or other internet search engines are available <laughs> 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 haverspecialisedogtraining.co.uk is my website. Mm-hmm. On there you'll read about what I do. You can read some testimonials. Um, if anybody, and yourself included, wants to come along to any of my classes and just watch and listen, more than welcome to. Excellent. Because there is no substitute. It's all very well hearing it. Yeah. And yet you can understand how it works and how it makes sense. But to see it actually work is something else indeed so you would be more than welcome to come along to any of them i do evenings 
daytime and weekend classes. Smashing. Yeah, I, I really want to come along and, and see this in action. You'd be more than welcome to, and, and bring your photographer as well. <laughs> I will do. <laughs> I'm hoping to get along to one of Stephen's classes and see him in action, and I will, of course, let you know when that happens. In the meantime, you can find a link to Stephen's website on the Dogcast Radio site, and you can hear him talking about Schutzund in episode 108 of Dogcast Radio. Rolling in the dirt after bathing may be rooted in a dog's survival genes and probably evolved to make them less apparent to competitors and predators. You heard me earlier discussing Rusty's progress with Pat, and he really has come on in leaps and bounds, which I feel is a fitting description of a border collie. We were sitting in a dog-friendly cafe over the weekend when two Wheaton Terriers came in, and it was lovely to see all three of our dogs wagging their tails in friendly greeting. Later this week, we'll be giving Rusty his first taste of agility, which we're hoping he'll take to and expend some of his boundless energy. Till next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast radio by email you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com when contacting us by email if you have the facilities please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file that way we can include them directly in our program we can accept most formats for example wav mp3 all these methods of contacting us can be found on our website which is www.dogcastradio.com And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. I saw a man in the park the other day trying to train his dog and getting very stressed. I went over and asked, what kind of dog is that, a setter or a pointer? Both, the unhappy man replied, he's an upsetter and a disappointer.